The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. I've got three things to say which will continue to be included in the uh, sermon. I'm not going to edit them out. The first one is that if you are here and you still have not gotten a Sergio and Rhoda calendar, you can take one. Those are a gift from me and from Sergio and Rhoda jointly. Okay, that's your Christmas present. Um, so if you want one, please take it. The second thing is that you all had some biscuits from uh, the UK. Those were sent by Benzer and Sandra. Okay, they live over there and they attended here with us five minutes before the COVID lockdowns. And uh, they were the last people in Sarasota to leave before everybody got shut down. But uh, they sent us uh, some wonderful stuff. If you didn't have some, go back after the uh, sermon and get some and enjoy that. We want to thank them very much. And then um, for those who came in late, shame on you. But secondly, um, Jim Dwyer is not here because he fell. He broke five ribs. He punctured a lung and he uh, I don't think it's broken, but I think he fractured his wrist here. And so uh, he's in the hospital. He may get out. He may not today, but we'll see. We're waiting to find that out. But those three things, uh, just so people are aware of that. And from there, we will go ahead and get into Psalm 143. Psalm 143 is Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Selah. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. We are in Deuteronomy 9 still. It's verses 7 through 17. This is entitled, And the Mountain Burned with Fire. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. 
Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire and the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. In today's passage, Moses takes us through the account of what occurred when he was on Mount Sinai after the initial giving of the Ten Commandments. Moses is recounting this story to give weight to a point that he made in the passage we looked at last week. For Israel, they should pay heed to what is said because it still applies to them even today in several ways. They have the same nature and character that Moses proclaimed then and which he will explain today. They also have the same need for mercy that was needed towards the end of our passage. It is the repeated theme of the Bible. Man needs release from sin. Sin comes through law. And therefore, man needs release from the law. If that doesn't happen, all that man can expect is a sad ending when he is forever separated from the goodness of God. But please understand, this is our default position because of what Adam did. God doesn't want it this way. That is evidenced in the fact that he had gone through the entire plan of redemption, as is outlined in the Bible, to have our default setting changed. For those of us who have come to Christ, it is done. For Israel, as a people, that time is yet ahead. Our text verse comes from Jeremiah 31. It's verses 31 through 33. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Israel, the people who God covenanted with, failed to see the importance of Christ Jesus. In their rejection of him, they remained, and they remain to this day, a people bound to the law. It is a law that demands a penalty for violating it. Moses understood that, and today he will begin to take action to rectify it for his people. But they remain a people under the law. Yes, they were granted temporary release year by year under the provisions of the renewed covenant that they received, but even that only anticipated a future, final, and full release that can only be found in their Messiah. Someday, they will get it right. For now, the lesson of the law continues, as does a short chiasm that we began with our last verse last week. We can look at that in review before we get into our sermon verses. Deuteronomy 9, 6-13, Breaking the Covenant, 
while Moses was on the mountain of God, and this was first found in June 3rd of 2008, and I refined it a little bit when I did this sermon because I read the Hebrew and kind of refined it a little bit. But the first part of the chiasm says you are a stiff-necked people, and the ending of it, indeed, they are a stiff-necked people. B, you who came out of Egypt provoked the Lord to wrath. B, the people who came out of Egypt have acted corruptly and disobeyed the Lord. C, I received two tablets of stone, went on the mountain 40 days and nights. C, at the end of 40 days and nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone. And the anchor verse, the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire. As you can see, the center of the chiasm speaks of the words of the Lord that were spoken from the midst of the fire. And you can see that the outer parts of the chiasm speak of Israel as a stiff-necked people. The two thoughts together don't bode very well for Israel. Do they want to remain under this law? Do you? The very thought is suicidal because we are all a little bit like Israel. We are stiff-necked and incapable of submitting ourselves to such a weight and a burden. We all have choices to make, and we will continue to look over the choice of the law today. Hopefully, you will decide to opt for another avenue, one with a light and easy yoke that you can readily submit to. That is the one that Christ Jesus offers. It is a precious truth that is to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have two thoughts for you today. The first is written with the finger of God. It's verses 7 through 10. Verse 7, remember, do not forget. The translation is correct. There is a stress on the words, zakor al tishkach. Remember, do not forget. The words are second person singular. Moses is speaking to the people collectively. He is heavily stressing his words in order to ensure that Israel does not ever feel that they deserve what they have received. In fact, exactly the opposite is true. Not only did they not deserve being granted the inheritance, the opposite is the case. The promise was to the fathers, and they, as a group, were the recipients of it. And yet it is they, Israel, who should have been completely destroyed for their behavior. Moses wants them to not only know it for what he will convey concerning their past actions, but for their state at any given time in the future as well. Verse 7 continues, how you provoke the Lord your God to wrath. The words of this verse take us back to last week's passage. There it said, it is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Moses said that inheriting the land was not because they were righteous or upright in heart. Rather, they are a stiff-necked people. He is now reminding them of that fact. It is they, Israel, who provoked the Lord their God to wrath. Again, the words are in the singular. He is the Lord God of Israel, and it is they as a nation that provoked him to wrath. But more, it was, verse 7 continues, in the wilderness. Israel had been in bondage in Egypt. The fact that they were in the wilderness meant that they were not in Egypt any longer. That didn't come about by their own power, for they had none. 
Rather, as Moses said to them in chapter 7, you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. Moses is building his case step by step to solidify the facts of Israel's history. It's state before the Lord and their state as the people of the Lord. They are, but it is only because of his covenant promises and not because of anything of value in them. They had proven it to be otherwise. Verse 7 going on, from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place. A transition takes place in these words. The Hebrew says, Lemin hayom asher yasata me'eretz mitzrayim ad boakem ad hamakom hazeh. From the day which you, singular, departed from land, Egypt, until you, plural, you all, came to the place, the this. This change to the plural will continue into chapter 10. He goes from speaking to all the people collectively to speaking to them all individually. In essence, from the day that you, Israel, departed from the land of Egypt until all of you Israelis came to this place. The words of this clause define the term of the previous clause, in the wilderness. They provoked the Lord to wrath when they left Egypt, and they continued to do so even until the place where they now sat, right on the border of the inheritance. The period extends throughout the entire time of their specific calling as a people. As this is so, it also includes their time since the giving of the law. They had entered into the covenant with the Lord, and yet they continued to provoke him to wrath after that. Verse 7 going on, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Rather than against the Lord, it reads, Mamrim Hatim Im Yehovah. Rebellious you have been with Yehovah. Using the word im or with makes the act especially personal. They are his people and he is their God, and yet they were consistently rebellious with him. It is reflective of the meaning of the name Israel, or he strives with God. The striving can be with God for God or with God against God. Moses notes that they had been rebellious with him against him. As this happened even until the present time, it means that the law was not something that had brought them any nearer to him. That's an important thing to remember. Rather, verse 8 also in Horeb, Ube Horeb, and in Horeb. The sense of the word and is even. In other words, even in the very sight of the mountain where the Lord's glory was on display and where you received the law, even there, verse 8 continues, you provoked the Lord to wrath. It is the same word that was just used in verse 7. You, singular, Israel, provoked the Lord your God to wrath. You all, plural, provoked the Lord to wrath. Moses is probably doing this to let every person know that they are equally to blame. They cannot blame their fathers, they cannot blame everyone else, and they cannot blame just a few miscreants. Rather, each and every person must shoulder a part of the blame of provoking the Lord to wrath. There he was, on top of the mountain, right in full sight. As it said in Exodus 24, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Just because Moses was the only one at that time receiving the law, the presence of the Lord was right there, right in full sight of all of the people. Despite this, they provoked the Lord to anger 
even then. Verse 8 continues, so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. Here Moses uses a word, enough, that he introduced into the Bible in verse 137. He used it again in verse 421. It comes from a primitive root, meaning to breathe hard. In both instances, he was referring to the anger of the Lord against him, but on account of the doings of the people. Now he says that the anger was bakhem, or in you, meaning with the people themselves. The Lord's fury was so great that it was as if he was huffing against them for what they had done. Moses now recounts exactly what brought that about, saying, verse 9, when I went up into the mountain, ba'aloti ha-hara, in my going up the mountain, saying, in my going up, it ties the words to the previous verse, which said, ube horeb, or and in horeb. The last thing Moses would have considered is that in his going up the mountain, the very mountain in which the people were located and where they saw the awesome display of the Lord, while he was up there, they would fall into apostasy. In fact, Moses highlights the reason for his going up. It was, verse 9 continues, to receive the tablets of stone. These words were specifically stated in Exodus chapter 24. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadav, and Avihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you the tablets of stone, and the law and the commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. Not only had the people seen the display of the Lord, but Aaron, Aaron's two oldest sons, and 70 chosen leaders of Israel had also gone up and eaten a meal in the presence of the Lord. This is especially important to remember when we get to verse 20 next week. It was only after these events that Moses then ascended alone with Joshua to receive, verse 9 continues, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you. Luchot haberit asher karat Yehovah imachem. Tablets, the covenant which cut Yehovah with you all, plural. Moses is continuing to make this personal for each and every person before him now. It is true that many people were born after that event happened, and yet he is indicating that they are all complicit in what occurred. The Lord had cut a covenant with them. Moses was going to get the tablets that contained the very words of that covenant and to bring them back as a witness to the people of what they had agreed to. Moses next describes his situation during that time. Verse 9 going on, Then I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. This is recorded in Exodus 24, verse 18. It was during this time that Moses received all of the details for the construction of the tabernacle and everything associated with it, including who would fabricate everything, who would minister as a priest, and so on. The number 40 in Scripture signifies a period of probation, trial, and chastisement. This was certainly the case for Israel while Moses was on the mountain. They were under probation, and guess what? They failed to measure up, didn't they? They stayed below, eventually committed their great sin, and as it says in Exodus 32, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. While they were below with their false god feasting, Moses was on the mountain with the Lord fasting. As he says, verse 9 continues, I neither ate bread nor drank water. 
This was not previously recorded in the Exodus account. Moses fills this detail in for the people to see the contrast between themselves and their conduct and him and his conduct before the Lord. This time of probation and trial parallels that which Jesus faced after he was baptized. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Verse 10, Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. After the Lord laid out the details of the law, he delivered a written copy of it to Moses. The words are similar to Exodus 31. He gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. In Exodus 31, he calls them Shene Luchot Even, two tablets stone. Here it says Shene Luchot Ha'abanim, two tablets the stones. This shows that the words are not simply copied from Exodus, but that Moses is recalling to mind what he was given. It is a subtle proof of Mosaic authorship. If this was written by another person who simply copied the Exodus account, it would have said the same thing both times. In both, however, it says, Ketuvim be'etzba Elohim, written in finger of God. This term, in finger of God, is then explained in Exodus 32. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. It is God who accomplished the task of writing the words upon the stone. It is not that Moses received the words and then chiseled out what he was told, but that the Lord himself engraved the words upon the stone. In this, the same word for write, katav, is used both here and in Jeremiah 31, which was our text verse today. The Lord wrote the law upon tablets of stone, and he promised that he would write his law upon the hearts of the people. Each step of the process is intended to show us our need for Jesus Christ and of how God will work through him to make our reconciliation complete. Verse 10 continues, And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain. In other words, the tablets contained the Ten Commandments that were spoken out by the Lord in the presence of all of the people. Just what was conveyed to them was exactly what was written. What this means is that what was recorded there was to be feared. The people feared the display of the Lord, but the display was to alert them to the nature of the Lord in relation to his law. The words of this clause and the next form the center of the chiasm that we looked at earlier. The terror and power were conveyed because of the giving of the law. That is seen in the next words. Verse 10 continues, From the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. 
the people were assembled to hear the law. The fire accompanied the speaking forth of the law, and it is from where the words issued forth. The fire was to impress upon their minds the nature of the word of the Lord. As it says in Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord? The word of God written on tablets of stone. It is his word and we must obey. But for our sins, he will atone. Yes, our transgressions and sin, he will put away. This is possible when we have faith in his promise. It is what pleases him, faith in his word. When we are not like a doubting Thomas, he grants forgiveness when our faith is heard. This is the marvel of what God has done in Christ. He offers us life where once death reigned. He set the value and the condition has been priced. Through faith in his son, eternal life can now be gained. Our second thought today, you had sinned against the Lord your God. It's verses 11 through 17. Verse 11, and it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. One can see the purpose of the set period of 40 days right here. As noted, it is a period of probation, trial, and chastisement. Moses didn't know this. He simply went up the mountain and received the law. He was totally unaware of what was occurring at the base of the mountain, and his reaction shows that he never expected such a thing to occur. He, representing the law, thought that obedience to the law was possible, but the Lord already knew that this was not the case. The Lord had set the period of time, that period of time was now complete, and he gave to Moses the tablets as a witness to the fact that what the people heard was exactly what the people had violated. In fact, he ties the handing over of the tablets to Moses in with exactly that thought, as is seen in the next words. Verse 12, then the Lord said to me, arise, go down quickly from here. The words follow closely after Exodus 32, 7 and 8. And they carry a sense of urgency. Kum red maher mitzeh. Arise, descend quickly from this. This is then followed by the same surprising words of Exodus. Verse 12 continues, For your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have acted corruptly. The Lord says, Amecha, your people. As seen in Exodus, this carries one of two possibilities. One, The Lord is telling Moses that the people have sinned and they require a mediator to intercede for them, or two, the Lord has disavowed them. The covenant which united them was broken and they are no longer his people. It is actually a mixture of both. The Lord distanced himself from the people, but he knew the tie of Moses' blood relationship was permanent. In verse 14, he offers a new beginning through Moses, but because of Moses' faithfulness to his people, the Lord will continue the covenant between himself and Israel. For now, for, think of it. Moses and what he did for the people of Israel. Think of it. The Lord relented because Moses petitioned for them. How much more will he relent when Christ petitions for us? Think of it. Verse 12 continues. They have acted quickly, turned aside from the way which I commanded them. Saru maher. They have turned aside quickly. Using the same word, maher, or quickly, the Lord is tying in the command to Moses with the actions of the people. If they have turned so quickly from the proper path, you must quickly appear before them. Time is of the essence because, verse 12 continues, they have made themselves a molded image. Not only had they made a molded image, but they had substituted it for the Lord. 
Aaron had said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. After that, he said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. In other words, he had equated that crummy calf to Jehovah. The irony of this action was immense. Israel had waited for the Lord's promise to Abraham for over 400 years, and yet they could not wait for Moses' return from the Lord for a mere 40 days. Their short-sightedness and rebellion reflected the nature of their hearts. Moses continues showing this. I'm picking on Israel. We're all the same, every one of us. Verse 13, furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. The Hebrew doesn't say spoke. It says, and the Lord said to me saying. The difference is minor, but it is significant. When using amar or said, it signifies participation by the one being addressed. In this case, the participation will be revealed in the next verse. For now, these words close out the chiasm that began in verse 6. Moses told the people that they were stiff-necked, right? He then set about to explain to them why this was so. Even at the most important of all times, while camped around the mountain of God, and just after having received the law from the midst of the fire, the people rebelled against the Lord and provoked him to anger. If nothing else were to be held against them, this would be enough to prove that they were, in fact, stiff-necked, just as the Lord had said and just as Moses had repeated. They were unwilling to bend their necks and submit to the yoke of the Lord's law. Such an attitude rightly deserved the Lord's punishment. Verse 14, let me alone. Heref mimeni, desist from me. The word is rafa. It conveys the idea of letting go or maybe to slacken. The Lord begins testing Moses through this word. If you will back off, I will take action against them. Verse 14 continues, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. The Hebrew is plural, heavens. It says in both Exodus and Deuteronomy that the Lord spoke to the assembly from the heavens. That was from the fire. And so now the meaning behind the fire is revealed. The Lord who spoke to them from the fire out of the heavens would turn that display of fire into judgment, blotting out their name from under those same heavens. Next, verse 14 continues, And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. This is where the use of Amar is significant. The Lord said to Moses. That includes a sense of participation. After completing his destruction of Israel, the Lord would then build up a new nation through Moses. If Moses desisted from the Lord and stood back while he destroyed Israel, the Lord would then build up a house through him. But Moses was having none of that. Verse 15, so I turned and came down from the mountain and the mountain burned with fire. It is two separate clauses, but the symbolism has to be taken as a whole. The mountain represents the governmental authority of the Lord. Moses, or he who draws out, draws out from the Lord the law of the Lord. It is he who descends from the place of governmental authority where, as it says, and the mountain is burning in the fire. The same fire, verse 10, where the Lord spoke mitok ha'esh, or from the midst of the fire, is referred to here. Moses represents the law coming from that place of governmental authority in judgment. As it says, verse 15 going on, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. Ushene luchot haberit al shete yadai. And two tablets, the covenant upon 
my two hands. The wording is precise and specific. The tablets were resting upon his hands. Unless they were teeny, or unless he worked out with Arnold Schwarzenegger, neither of which would be the case, and both for obvious reasons, they were on his hands and resting upon his breast as he carried them down the mountain. The symbolism is perfectly clear. The law, the law broken by Israel, open and in full view, is coming down the mountain of governmental authority from the fire of judgment, and thus only judgment should be expected. The voice spoke from the fire. The words of command were given, and the people feared greatly. But their fear was misplaced. It wasn't in the law, but in the display that accompanied the law. However, the display only came because of the giving of the law. Lesson, the law can only bring judgment. It cannot bring life. Verse 16, and I looked, and behold, the translation is precise. Moses was literally astonished at what he beheld. He had gone up the mountain to receive the word of the Lord at their request. When they made that petition, the Lord said, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Moses was surely proud of them for their heart, and he left them feeling secure that they would persevere in that state while he was gone. And yet, verse 16 continues, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf. Here's Moses coming down as instructed with the tablets of stone. What is written in stone is permanent. It cannot be erased. The very words inscribed on the tablets were broken by the people who had agreed to them. The law stood as a witness against them and against what they had done. The first two of the Ten Commandments testified to this. They had another God before the Lord, and they had made it as an image, calling it the Lord. Within the span of a mere 40 days, they had failed in their probationary test. Verse 16 going on, you had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Moses repeats the word of the Lord to him from atop the mountain. The people had turned aside maher, or quickly. Earlier, we saw that Jesus was baptized, and then he immediately went through his 40 days of testing. This is what happened to Israel, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Now, think of it. Think of the parallel. Here's Israel, and here's Jesus. He's the greater Israel, showing that he can do what they can't do. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The people had been baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They were driven into the wilderness and presented with the law, and within 40 days they failed. Jesus was baptized into Moses to fulfill all righteousness by John, a prophet of the law of Moses. He was driven into the wilderness while under the law, and through 40 days of testing, he prevailed. For now, 
Moses says, verse 17, it finishes with, Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. In Exodus, it says that Moses broke these at the foot of the mountain. Here it says that he broke them before their eyes. They must have seen him coming at some point and jointly looked towards him. At this time, and because of his anger at what he saw, he threw them down in their sight. This shows that his act was purposeful. He didn't just drop them in a fit of passion, but what he did was intentional and specifically for them to see him do it. It thus signifies the annulment of the covenant. They had agreed to the covenant. They broke it. Moses annulled that covenant. In their agreeing to the law and then breaking it, the word of God was made of no effect. But just as important, it is actually a petition for mercy. If he wanted Israel destroyed, as the Lord suggested he would do up on Sinai, Moses would have brought the tablets forward, then he would have held them up over the people, showing them that the coming punishment was just and asking for it to be meted out against the people. Rather, in their breaking of the covenant, Moses, as the designated mediator, this is the importance of a mediator, was anticipating its annulment by destroying what the Lord had written on the tablets. This act of breaking the tablets is never, never mentioned in the negative by God later. In other words, it is to be considered as a justifiable act by Moses. As the mediator, the Lord has seen his actions and will next hear his petition for mercy. But what we see here is giving us a picture of a portion of the story of redemption. It is a picture of our spiritual state. The laws of God are fixed and they are unchanging, but they can be annulled. In this, God knew that Moses would break them. The first set of tablets pictures Adam. The tablets were made by God and engraved by God. Adam was created by God and he was given a law by God, but he broke that law. What Adam needed after that was mercy. What Israel needs is mercy as well. This is what Moses will petition for in our next set of verses, and it is what will be granted. In chapter 10, we will see how this will be accomplished in another pictorial display. What is important to understand here is that the law of God is set. It cannot be amended by man. It can be either adhered to or it can be annulled by God who gave it. But we either have to meet the law or we will face the judgment of God. This is the message of the Bible. God has given law to man. Man has broken that law, and man stands condemned before God because of that. Israel's reception of the law of Moses only highlights that fact. It is God's standard, and it must be met. But God gives us an option as to how that can come about. We can attempt to meet his standard on our own, or we can meet it vicariously through another. God does give us that option. In the first option, we will fail, and we will be condemned. In the case of the second option, if we choose the right substitute to fulfill its demands for us, we will be saved. And the only suitable substitute for that to accomplish this is Jesus Christ. Only he was born without original sin, and only he fulfilled the law perfectly. It is only through Christ that we can meet God's perfect standard. And so I would ask you today to consider this and to be sure that you settle your eternal destiny with God <coughs> right away. Call on Christ, be forgiven for the sins of your soul, and be reconciled to God through the perfection of his Christ, our Lord Jesus. Now, I said that that covenant was an old. He was the mediator, and he broke those tablets saying, Lord, 
I don't want you to take out the vengeance on them that they deserve. That does not mean that the law of Moses is annulled already. What that means is that Moses went back up and renewed the covenant. He was up there again and got another set of tablets. That's another picture of Christ and all that stuff. So don't go telling anybody I said that the law of Moses was annulled at that time permanently because it was renewed and they had to live under that. They agreed to it. As a matter of fact, when they said it, they used the term we will obey and we will hear whatever you say. And it doesn't matter how much you add on to it. We're going to do it. Okay. They gave the saying before the hearing. They really put themselves in a bind. They really need Jesus. But guess what? We all do as well. Now, there's a girl that's emailing me for the past three or four days, and she's asking about questions in Catholicism because she's on this blog and she's trying to convince people about Jesus. How do I present this? I want you to know that if you have family and friends that are in Catholicism and they're following the Mary cult, they are in really serious, serious shape. Because the Bible says that there is one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Christ Jesus. They use her as a co-redemptrix. And another thing they have, which most people misunderstand the term, is immaculate conception. They think that applies to Jesus. It has nothing to do with Jesus. And the example I always give, it's pertaining to Mary saying that she was sinless. And the example that you think of is, here's a hole. And all people are born in a hole, right? Sin. We're all born in sin. We are all sons of Adam. We are all born in sin. We are condemned before we take our first breath. That's right in the 51st Psalm. It's confirmed elsewhere in the Bible. We are condemned the moment we are conceived. Surely I was sinful from my mother's womb. Okay, so there we go. We're in the hole. Well, guess what? Immaculate Conception says that God kept Mary out of the hole. And the Bridges asked me this a couple of days ago, and I gave them the answer that I gave this girl. If that is the case, then what does that mean? It means two things. First is that we don't need Jesus because we have another redemptrix, Mary. Okay, she's sinless. And two, we definitely don't need Jesus because if he can keep one person out of that hole, he can keep all people out of that hole. It's completely destroying the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's a late doctrine, by the way. It's not something that goes way back. Okay, it's heresy. People are stuck in these Catholic doctrines and they don't even understand what they are doing. They are destroying the significance of what God has done in Christ. She said they're claiming that the tabernacle pictures Mary because Mary had Christ in her womb. Go back and watch the Exodus sermons. You will see that every single detail, and there are about 15 billion details in those sermons. I mean, these guys were teary-eyed that every detail points to Jesus Christ and not one hints at Mary. Okay, it's a big study. Theology is hard. It's so much easier to find salvation in another. I don't have to worry about Jesus. I can go to Mary. Be very careful what you believe. I mean, she had all kinds of questions, and every one of them was just as goofy as that. The cross and the significance of the shed blood of Jesus Christ is obliterated by the Roman Catholic Church completely and entirely. Please don't be fooled into such things. Cling to the cross of Christ Give your life to him. Pursue him with reckless abandon. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. All right. He is the center and the focal point of all of scripture. Now, I was a little mean yesterday. I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to do it. A church burned down in uh, uh, New York two days ago now, and uh, something caught on fire, and it burned down the church, and it's this old church, and my friend sent me the article, and I said, yeah, it's just a church. It means nothing. The people are the church, not a building. Yes. And then the, the priest 
or whatever, reverend or whatever title was, went on Twitter and said some things. And all I did was I posted just one verse back to her. I didn't even quote the verse. I just gave the verse number. 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And here's this woman preacher up there talking about how great her church was and blah, blah, blah. Listen, we got to hold to this word alone. I didn't write those words. I'm not a chauvinist. That's what the word says. When we come to this word, we have to take it all or we reject it entirely. There is no middle ground with God. There's no middle ground. This word is sacred. It is pure and it is holy. And we need to meditate on it in the morning, in the day, in the night, throughout the day. Listen, I'm a basket case. I say this every week. They know it, man. They know me. He's like my adopted son over there and my adopted daughter. They know my propensities. My wife knows him. My dad's back there. He really knows him. He's put up with him for 56 years. I, I would be a basket case without the word in my life all the time. That's all there is to it. Cling to the cross of Christ and come to him through his gospel of peace. This is what we're being taught right here in the Old Testament. Oh, Deuteronomy doesn't matter to me. This is the foundation of everything that we know and cling to as sacred because it's all about Jesus. I've got a uh, closing verse for you from 2 Corinthians 3. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, speaking about the believers in Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is the heart. Next week is Deuteronomy 9, 18 through 29. During this time, will Israel be restored? It's entitled 40 Days and 40 Nights Before the Lord. That'll be our 33rd Deuteronomy sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. But he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. Now, don't get me wrong. If you've called on Jesus, you are positionally there already. Ephesians 2 tells you that. We are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. But we're still in this body and we're still working our lives toward that. Even though we're positionally and we will never lose that, he still expects things of us. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Now, I have a question for you and I changed our question. I had a question right out of the sermon today. And I was like, woohoo, that was easy. And then I, I had something happen yesterday when we were, uh, I was out with Sergio and Rhoda and some other people, Hedico and uh, Gary. We had to go meet Jim and Linda. And, you know, I went outside. I said, I'll wait for him. And Jim is, I'm not kidding. When we're in the projects on Saturday, anybody that's been in the projects one time will testify to this. We start at 930 and we do not start one minute later. I get people going, okay? Jim shows up every single day exactly at 930. He's the most precise person I have ever seen in my life. And he did not show up yesterday. And when that happened, after about five minutes, I came in, I said, something's wrong. And I saw all their faces long and they're all sitting there. I said, what's the matter? Jim fell. And I said, oh, I thought they're kidding. He's five broken ribs. He's punctured his lung. He's broken his wrist or fractured it. He's in the hospital. I, it, just, it was miserable thinking about that. And so in honor of Jim's fall, which we know he's okay now, with Jim's fall, we can challenge our knowledge of anatomy in Scripture. Okay? After the obvious reference in Genesis 2 where man made a woman out of the man's Rib, okay, after that obvious reference, where else is the rib or rib cage mentioned in the Bible? Uh, about the lion. 
The lion. Okay. I don't think it says the rib. Um, I'm gonna. Okay. Oh, I, did I just shut? Oh, I shut this off, and and now I. Sergio, because this thing shut off on me, this iPad, it's coming on. It'll take seven minutes and 45 seconds to come on. Just do a search on the word rib, and I want you, he said the, the lion. Does it say the word rib there? Okay, I'm not talking about the old King James Version, which says, and he smote him under the fifth rib, because that's not in the Hebrew. That's in the stomach, and that's just the way they say it. Okay. No, it doesn't, but it's... Rib. Okay, it's not... It's not... Job. Yes, it's Job. The rib cage of the Leviathan, is it, or the behemoth? It is uh, uh, the the behemoth. Okay, and then there's another one. There is. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, his ribs are like bars of iron. That's right. And then the other one. You said what? Daniel 7, That's it. Daniel had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said thus to each other, Arise, devour much flesh. And then in Hosea 13, 8, I will meet them like a bear deprived of her cubs. I will tear open their rib cage, and there I will devour them like a lion. The wild bear shall tear them. So there are the ribs. Whenever I go to the hospital, which I can't go anymore because of COVID-19, but whenever I used to spend Literally, she knows. I was at the hospital more than I was at home because we got a bunch of old people in this, including me. But I'm, I'm always at the, I'm always there. No kidding. I was there. I know every single person that works in that hospital. Anyway, and there's not a big congregation. I wonder about churches with 7,000 people, right? Okay. I'm there. I'm always there. And what I would always do, and my friends from school too, I'm not just saying the church, but anyway. Every time I go in there, if somebody's in there and their toe hurts, I would pull out a verse from the Bible and I'd apply it to them. And the only one my friend went in for intestinal surgery. And I said, do you want me to read this to you? And he's a kind of happy guy. He said, yeah. And I read it to him. He, even he was grossed out. King Joram, I think it is. You know, where uh, you're going to disobey the Lord and something's going to happen. Oh, terrible. Yeah. I mean, the guy died in pain. Okay. But... I always try to find something to help you empathize with your situation right from the Bible. You know, somebody's heart has problems. There are lots about the heart in the Bible. Eyes, you know, you're missing an eye from a bear attack. I, there are lots of verses. But the uh, the intestines are very hard to find. There's only that one, and it's pretty gross. Anyway, there you go. I got a poem to read you, and we'll be done. Uh, and the mountain burned with fire. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you've been rebellious against the Lord. You are such a mess. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, so you remember, and as you did do, so the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water, neither did I do. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words from the day when you all were trembly, which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, as time does track, that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, to take back. And then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought out of Egypt 
have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image into idolatry. They have tripped. Further, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. What more about them can I say? Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire on that day, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands as I headed your way. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf, a terrible thing to do. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets, and out of my two hands them I threw, and broke them before your eyes in my outburst because of my anger at you." Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we certainly thank you for the many blessings of this life, and we thank you for this precious word that just gets better and better with every week we go along in it. Everything fits better into place. Everything is more surely understood in the New Testament because of the grounding we have in the Old. And the pictures are wonderful. The anticipations are glorious. The fact that you covenanted with Israel and are still faithful to them, even in their 2,000 years of unfaithfulness, how great you are, O oh God to keep them as a people, to maintain them, and to bring them back to the land where you will deal with them in grace and mercy someday. But there will be judgment before that day, and so we pray that many will open their mouths and speak to the people of Israel so that many will come to a saving knowledge and be saved from that time of wrath which is coming. Lord God, we pray these things that you will be glorified in your people. And we certainly pray them that they will be relieved from the terrors ahead in you. And we pray this... In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We get the instruction for the Lord's Supper directly from Scripture. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And he would have blessed this bread. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it. Then he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay, we'll stop right there before we go on. Another question she had. What about the uh, transubstantiation of the Roman Catholic Church? And I do this from time to time. That's what they teach, is that the body and the blood, or the bread and the wine, actually become his body and blood. Okay, and they're eating the body of the Lord Jesus. So it's a reenactment of the bloody sacrifice. One, that's terrible to even consider. But secondly, what does Jesus do on the night in which he was betrayed? He held them in his hands and he said, this is my body and my blood. It's obviously a metaphor for what the people needed to understand in future generations. Not that we're eating his body and blood, but we are symbolically remembering what he did for us until he returns again. The second option is consubstantiation. That's Martin Luther's caving on the issue. He knew that transubstantiation was both crazy and wrong, and so he came up with consubstantiation. I got a 
what do you call it, a butane lighter, and I put it under this, and it gets really hot. The fire is in the metal. Oh, well, Jesus is in the elements like fire is in the metal. doesn't mean anything. He just didn't want to get burned as a heretic, and so he came up with that. But he knew that the first one was wrong. And then comes along John Calvin, and John Calvin says that Christ is present with us when we take this, okay? Guess what? We're believers in Jesus Christ. He is with us always. There's never a time that we are not with the Lord Jesus. He is always with us in good and bad, in obedience and in disobedience. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And John Swingley, the Baptist tradition, which is the correct tradition, by the way, is that Christ is symbolically represented in these elements, exactly the way the Bible teaches us, and that we take this because we are remembering his cross until he came again.